I was asked to briefly explain perichoresis again before I move on into the second session. I think we all accept that the idea that God is a trinity. Uh, The problem, however, is that we may have a hierarchical view of the trinity. And that idea is perhaps formed when we look at the incarnation of Jesus, that 33 and a half years that he was on earth. We must not trap the Son in incarnation, but rather view him in eternity. Eternally, the Father, Son, and Spirit is equal. The exact same attributes that describes the Father, describes the Son, and describes the Spirit. So when we use the term perichoresis, we refer to the mutual interpenetration of the three persons, each one existing within the other and indwelling each other. God is a community of persons. Each person is penetrated, filled, and contained in the other. We could also say each person permeates the other. This is why Jesus says in John 14, 11, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So when we talk about the parts played by divine persons in perichoresis, we say that the Son indwells the Father. We say the Father contains the Son. We say the Spirit fills the Father. So we are telling a story which enables us to enter the interpersonal currents of love within God. So this vision of God lays stress upon the equality, mutuality, and reciprocity of the three persons. In God, each person receives everything from the other, and at the same time gives everything to the others. Furthermore, because of God's free choice by begetting the Son and adopting the many other sons, this is viewed as an indivisible act because all the adopted sons are in Christ. We cannot separate the perichoresis of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, from the perichoresis of the rest of creation. God does not exist aloof from his creation. His very creation depends to be held together by the power of his word. In essence, then, what we are saying is that because of this community in which God lives, of course, each of the three persons expresses the nature of God through their function differently. And as sons of God, we are invited into this union and intimacy and fellowship between the Father, Son, and Spirit. This is a part of the mystery of our faith. God is great and very gracious towards us. Now, when we talk about the sons of God, 
we're talking about a very broad subject. Of course, time does not allow us to do justice to this here today. Because we're really focusing on the spirit of entrepreneurship. But to understand how we function, we must properly understand our identity as sons of God. Identity is fundamental to function. In other words, to the extent that Christ has been formed in my spirit, to that extent I can bring the will of God to fruition in my life. Now, we see that there was a time when the sons of God, some of them broke away from God. The study of the Nephilim is a complete separate subject. After the flood, we see that there is still activity even in the building of the Tower of Babel. I believe that the nations are still raging today because those spiritual entities have their literal roots in the rebellion against God. Deuteronomy 32 verse 8 and 9 reads as follows. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of men, he fixed the bounds of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God, for the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. Now, both the Septuagint and the Dead Sea Scrolls, when referring to Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9, refers to a time when God divided the nations of the earth amongst the sons of God. Israel is exempted as the special possession of God himself. So when we talk about principalities and powers, it seems as if this is a part of that company that gave their allegiance to Lucifer. The Bible says in Acts 4, 25 and 26, you can also see that in Psalm 2, verse 1 and 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. I was very exhilarated last night when I was listening to apostles speaking about the purpose for Calvary. Christ dealing with the sin of the world. Dealing with the effect of Lucifer in the earth. And technically giving birth to a whole new generation of sons. So when Paul write to the Romans and tell them that all of creation is waiting for the sons of God. I believe he is speaking of the sons resuming their place in the council of God. To replace the rule over the nations which belong to God. We live in a day where we have to think beyond the limitations that religion and church has placed upon us. Trusting the sovereignty of the grace of God. To restore us to assume the function and the place that we have with him over the nations. Yes, we have the responsibility to disciple the nations in the spirit and in the natural. We are also called to bless the nations with our ministries in the seven mountains. And Jesus as the firstborn of many brothers 
whom he's not ashamed to call his friends. So we are sons called to be part of his council. So when we read the scriptures, we see very intimate language. Language that speaks of thrones, crowns, friends, sons, brothers, kings and priests, co-laborers, sharing his glory, reigning with him, etc. This is the language of intimacy. But it's the language of inclusion. It's the language of bringing us into his eternal purposes. It's the language of sharing with him in his governance. And because the nations belong to Christ, they are also the inheritance of the sons. In Psalm 2 verse 7 and 8, declares, I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. We are in Christ. We were locked up in his loins. And when he asked the father for the nations, we were already in his loins. He separated us unto himself before the foundations of the world were laid. Or he separated us unto himself before he kicked the world into a lower place. We are the Christ generation. I want to share with you in Psalm 89 something that really helped me understand this in my heart. From verse 19 it says, When thou spakest, in vision to thy holy one and said, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I've exalted one chosen out of the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil have I anointed him. With whom my hand shall be established, mine arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not exact upon him nor the son of wickedness afflict him. And I will beat down his foes before his face and plague them that hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand also in the sea and his right hand in the rivers. Watch verse 26. He shall cry unto me, Thou art my Father, the rock of my salvation. And I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. The name of God in this context is Father. It's in this name, David, the firstborn son, exists and draws his identity. He calls this name to his God, you are my father. And then it says, he has made the firstborn. Something is made or issues out from the realm called father. The word make used in this verse in the Hebrew is the word Nathan or Nathan. It's the exact same word that God used 
when he said he will make Abraham a father to many nations. God is saying that when David cries upon him and say, you are my father, something happens. There's a making that takes place. The Bible said it's by the spirit that we cry, Abba, Father. It's in this cry that is the growing maturation of sonship. It's in this cry that our identity is made or constituted. It's in the cry for father that is the making of the firstborn son. Sonship identity emits from a cry for fathering. Now, when I look back over my life, as I have come over the last 44 years with the Lord, I'm not really a desperately wicked sinner anymore. Since I've been redeemed, my identity is son of God, a king priest. Furthermore, I know that God values his relationship with me in the sense of inviting me to his counsel. He also values my heart's desires. He invites my initiative and welcomes my participation in the kingdom. I'm a part of his army, his kingdom, his church, his king priest, and his heavenly council. I've come to know about his business and I've put his kingdom first. I'm happy to be a part of his grand scheme to disciple nations and to fill the earth with his glory. I understand that there are still literal giants present in the mountains just like Caleb overthrow them. Yet I hear the father ask, what is your desire? I hear the father ask, how shall we do this? As his sons, we are a part of his team. We carry his DNA. We carry his authority. And we carry his anointing to change the nations. Come with me to Revelation 3.20. And let's see how it's put there. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Did you notice the precondition to accessing thrones is overcoming. None of us are exempt from life's challenges. Spiritual warfare is real and we are often reduced to nothing but belief in him. The Bible declares in Ephesians 2 verse 6 that we are his handiwork created in Christ to do exploits that our father has planned. The victories all flow from our presence at the council. Regardless of what we face, if we participate in the fellowship and the presence of God first, then we bring the Father's heart and his strategy into fruition. 
I think this year in particular, you would agree with me if I say the future is not scripted, it's chaos that sons have to make sense of because we share our father's heart and his business. So when we face the chaos and the trials and disappointments, it's simply a topic for discussion in a council with God and with other sons. You'll come away from that meeting with a practical wisdom, a change of heart, and a sense that your father is with you. We were purchased to be kings and priests who reign with him on earth to help build his kingdom and bless nations. Now, let me remind you that when we talked about Jacob's ladder, we talked about the fact that there is a door in heaven standing wide open. Now, Jacob's not the only one who saw the door in heaven open. Many others in scripture have seen that door open. In Revelation chapter 4, we find John in the Isle of Patmos, and let's see what he has to say. John says, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit. The primary methodology of the, remit, the transmittance of grace is the voice of God. As soon as John heard the voice, he was in the Spirit. John's Spirit was trained to the voice of God. Revelation 5.10 says, And he has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. So the door standing open in heaven, and there's an instruction to come up here. Many are hearing the invitation to play their role in the reformation of nations. Connecting the dots with their seer gift. And I want to encourage you today, you too are invited. When I first started out in the first session, I told you, that Jesus declared that he will only do what he sees the Father doing. That statement was a statement of self-limitation, but rather a statement of intimacy, fellowship, relationship with the Father. One could also say, I know what my Father is doing, and I'm doing it. Oh, it is my mission to bring out of obscurity into reality that which my Father is doing in heaven. So this call to come up and see is a very exhilarating experience. It's the most exhilarating experience that you can ever enter in as a human. So the door in heaven is standing wide open. Revelation 3.8 says, I have set thee an open door, and no man can shut it. The instruction is to come up. Revelation 4.1 says, come up and I will show you what must take place after this. Psalm 84.7 says, they go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. 
John 5, 19 and 21. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. The Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, to your amazement, He will show Him even greater things than these. Christ in you, the hope of glory. From Him we have received grace upon grace. Grace is the substructure for the manifestation of the glory of God in the sons of God. God desires for us to participate with Him in His eternal purposes. In Matthew 16 verse 19 and 20, says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Fundamental key to the kingdom is to know what has been bound in heaven and to know what has been loosed in heaven. So we have a standing invitation from the Father. Hearing Him is fundamental to maturity and effectiveness. It's also the desire of God to show us things. Seeing creates a much deeper impression on our hearts. Pictures and visions are the languages of our hearts much more than words and concepts. It's necessary for us to use our imagination. Jesus made this illustration in Matthew 5.28. He said, if you look at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery. In other words, Jesus is saying that our imagination has the power to conceive sin. In the same way we can use our imagination to conceive the kingdom. Our imagination has power to birth both good and evil. Let's talk about faith for a moment. Because faith, in essence, in this simplicity, is seeing into the spiritual realm. Hebrews 11.1 1, I'm reading the New King James Version, and in a moment I'll read the New American Standard. It put it this way. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now in the New American Standard Bible, it reads as follows. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, firstly, the words of things in most Bibles are either in inverted commas or in brackets. Because this does not appear in the original manuscript. The verse should actually read, Now faith is the substance hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Because the issue of faith relates to a firm persuasion or confidence of the presence of God. The composition of faith relates to the nature of God as indicated in the word substance. And this confidence is rooted 
in and derived from the very nature and character of God himself. Now the word substance in the King James Version or assurance in the New American Standard Bible is the Greek term hypostasis. This word hypostasis is used to describe the very substantive and compositional nature of God himself. The meaning of hypostasis is that which underlies the apparent. So we are talking about the reality or the essence or the substance of that which is the basis of something. So we are talking about that which really exists under the appearance or the reality or the essence or nature. To understand this, let's think of the representative work of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 1 verse 3 it says, And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. That word exact representation is hypostasis. Jesus was able to exactly represent the nature, the character, the person, the identity of the Father because he functioned from the very substance of God. So partaking of his divine nature occurs when we obey what we have seen and heard of this nature and of his command. This is all communicated through his grace. So the nature of God reflects both his character and his intention or purpose. So faith's first objective is God himself, or his substance, or hypostasis, or his essential nature. It's only thereafter that it's employed in one's obedient response to obey his expectation of us and also to execute a specific task given to us. So this substance or hypostasis underlies and is the substructure upholding the sense of confidence and will manifest itself in the firm belief in what God has spoken that it will manifest even in the face of contrary external physical evidence. Let me explain it this way. Faith originates in God, but it is foreign to earth's environment. It's projected into this realm by the word of God through the grace of God. At that time, the mind of our spirit perceives and believes it. Thereafter, the mind of the spirit reasons with the mind of the soul to accept and believe it. When that is accomplished successfully, it manifests as works in the natural which glorifies God. Works brings God's nature, his substance, out of obscurity into the realm of the natural for everyone to observe. Faith without works is incomplete. Works demonstrate that faith has accomplished its work in your spirit. God determined that certain aspects of his person that he wanted to be made known. These aspects are tied 
to the substructure of his being and is communicated by his word, administered by his grace, and manifested by faith. Now, without these manifestations in the earth realm, God remains unknown and in obscurity. Hence, faith, the firm persuasion or conviction, has as its very focus and constitution the substantive nature of God. In other words, faith is the substance of God being made manifest through obedient sons who wants to demonstrate his glory. Now, we spoke about imagination earlier. Imagination is a trigger to help us see in the spirit. This is a big hurdle for all of us, but we have to permit ourselves to imagine to kickstart seeing in the spirit. Your imagination is a trigger for your sight. Give yourself permission and focus and time to see in this dimension. Learn to watch and be a watcher. Expect to see and put it into action. We have to permit ourselves to go someplace new in the spirit. In this case, we allow ourselves to use our imagination to see in the spirit or into heaven. We as sons of God were intended for this role. All of creation is waiting for us. Seeing in the spirit is like any other gift in the spirit. The reality of what you see is measured by the impact it has on yourself and on other people. What you see is also uh, confirmed in your own heart, just like prophecy or any other gift. When what you see is real, you know it. If it's mixed, you know that as well. And if it's manufactured, you can tell that as well. It's not that hard. Now, seeing this clearly in Scripture from a theological perspective was a huge release for me. I consider myself a toddler at seeing into the spirit realm. I'm an auditory person. I hear mostly in the spirit. In recent times, I've had the bizarre experience of seeing words. God knows that I function perceptively by words, but he's shifting me into seeing words. Our Father desires for us to see what he's doing, not only hear. Now, accessing heaven is not new. The idea of accessing heaven is not new. It's normal and necessary to bring the kingdom of God to earth. We must lean into this and receive it for ourselves. Let me explain it from this passage in Matthew eleven twelve. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. And it means also to lean into or to seize, to be seized by it. And the violent or the energetic take it by force. That word take it by force is the word harpazo. And the word harpazo means to prefer, to take for oneself, or to seize. 
In the King James Version, it also means to catch or to pluck or to pull or to take by force. Now the same word harpazo is caught up, is used a dozen times in scripture. It speaks of initiative and of a hunger for heaven. Let's look at Acts 8.39. This is speaking about Philip. Now when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about a man who was caught up into the third heaven. In verse 4 again it says, was caught up to paradise. In Jude, verse 23, it says, But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. All of these words speaks of a catching up or a pulling up. It is that same word, harpazo. Now, normally, if we think about Philip being caught away and Paul being caught up, it sounds as, Passive experiences where it just happened. But our puzzle suggests something softer than a take it by force, yet it's still something we prefer or seize or lay hold of. Childlike hunger and simplicity are necessary ingredients for kingdom initiatives. You and I simply have to want to visit heaven and see. It's an invitation to an experience. Now, talking about imagination, you'll notice that the connection here, the Greek word anabeno, between our minds conceiving or imagining something. There's a connection between our minds conceiving and imagining and the invitation to come up to heaven and see. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9 and 10, it says, However it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The words has conceived is that same Greek word anabeno, which means go up. This is how the Message Bible puts that verse. No one's ever seen or heard anything like this, never so much as imagined anything quite like it, what God has arranged for those who love him. So here we see the word has conceived and the word imagined is the same expression here of the word anabeno, which means to go up. So using our sanctified imagination is the prerequisite for ascending. There's a very interesting connection between conceiving or imagining something and going up. Now watch this in Luke 9 verse 28. Because the same word, anabeno, that is used for imagination, for conceiving, for going up, is used in Luke 9, 28 to 31. At this time, Jesus went up to pray. This is the time when he took Peter, John, and James with him, and they went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. In Revelation 4.1, the scripture says, And a voice I heard first speaking to me like a trumpet says, Come up. 
Come up and I will show you what must take place after this. So in every instance is the word anabeno that is used. To go up, whether literally or figuratively, to arise or ascend, to climb or go or grow or rise or spring up or come up. Conceiving and imagining something and going up is the same thing. We are invited to the councils of God. Let's go up. I want to talk to you now about exercising your idea muscle. Romans 4.17 puts it this way. Who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Proverbs 25.2 It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. Permitting ourselves to be creative is the birthplace of new ideas. New ideas are the currency of spirituality, prosperity, and calling. Ingenuity flows from a personal identity that is not boxed into the self-concept of being a servant of the employee of other people, institutions, or organizations. We are like our Father in heaven, created in His image to be creative. We can call things into being which have never existed before. We were all designed by God to be entrepreneurial, creating new ideas, new manifestations, new products, new services, new wealth. When we present ourselves in the councils of God, we are opening the storehouse of heaven and bringing his kingdom to earth to bless nations. Everything starts with an idea. Perhaps this is a good time for me to share some personal testimonies. In the year 2000, I separated myself before the Lord for five days of prayer and fasting per month for five consecutive months. 25 days in total. I didn't have the language about councils and about appearing before God. I just knew that this is what I needed to do. So early in the morning, I would appear before the Lord, discussing the desires of my heart. The initiative originated in earth, but it resonated in heaven. I found that God was accessible and agreeable with my plans. So after five months, I shelved my business plans. By that time, the plan has developed to such an extent in my heart that I realized that unless God moves sovereignly, I would not be able to do it. During this time, I continued to perfect my business model while I retained my position as national sales director of the company where I've worked for 14 years. I rested in faith, knowing that my vision has been registered in the realm of spirit. I knew that it was going to materialize in time. However, I didn't know that it would be a suddenly. One day, one of my major clients asked me to do him a favor and give a businessman 
from Hong Kong, a lift to the airport. The request was very inopportune, a difficult time of the day with lots of traffic, but I agreed to do it. Somehow in my heart at the time, I felt the Spirit say to me, you've been trained to serve, now do it. After I've dropped this gentleman off at the airport, I didn't even think of him ever again. When he returned to our country several months later, he asked this client of mine for a lunch appointment with me. I agreed to the meeting, and at lunchtime he asked me two questions. The first question was, what is your dream? I found that it was a strange question since the person hardly knew me. But again, I felt the impression in my spirit to answer him. I was able to recite my dream verbatim from memory because it was entrenched in my mind and in my soul. I gave him a detailed business plan from my memory. Then he asked me the second question. He says, why are you not living your dream? I said, I don't have the money. Then he responded with the following words. You now have the money. Start as though you lack nothing. He backed my business with about one million US dollars without any collateral or sureties, just on a handshake. I was like somebody who was living in a dream. I knew this transaction was discussed and sanctioned in the courts of heaven. Interesting thing is this man was not a believer on Jesus Christ. He was a worshiper of Buddha. But he had no other alternative but to obey the commandments of the king of heaven. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. So that's how I started my first business. Accessing the courts of heaven. Doing on earth what is necessary in planning and strategic preparation. Resting in faith. Waiting on the Lord. And observing what the Father is doing. Now, what I didn't tell you is what preceded this. When I began to talk with the Lord several years prior to this, he gave me an instruction. There was a brother in the Lord who lived in England and moved back to South Africa, and he was very ill when he returned. The Lord instructed me to start a business for the express purpose of taking care of this man and his family. For about two years, I paid the overheads of this family, their rent, their food, everything they needed in their home. I believe that became a seed that the Lord could use to produce this harvest. Let me give you another testimony. In 2011, I went before the Lord in a time of prayer and fasting, and I asked him for a break from international travel. I said to him, I want to stay at home, but I want to work on a project. I was coming home from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, via Nairobi in Kenya. 
When I checked in and out of Zababar, they gave me the boarding pass for my connecting flight. And I had quite a long layover. So I was sitting in the coffee shop, drinking cups of Blue Mountain coffee. Working on my computer, answering emails, whatever I was doing. When it came close to the time to depart, I realized that I was not assigned a seat for my connecting flight. So I went to the check-in desk for the airline and asked for a seat in the emergency exit row. The clerk told me there was only a seat in the middle of that row. I immediately declined the seat. And at that very moment, the Lord spoke to me and says to me, take the seat. I was very curious to know why he would tell me to sit there. So I couldn't wait to board the flight. So when I got on board the plane, I noticed that the person next to me was a person of Indian descent. In no time, we were chatting like old friends. So he asked me a question. What do you do for a living? I told him that I was in personal and organizational change management. I suppose that's how you answer a person in the world when you want to explain ministry. He kept on probing me with more questions for more information. I told him that I was also accessing businesses and for viability and sustainability. That's when I hit a home run. Right there on the spot, he asked me if I can come and assess his business. I decided to set my consultancy fee very high to see if he is going to decline me. He agreed instantly. I thought maybe I went in too low. So I multiplied it by five. Said it will take me five days to assess your business. While we were at it, I said that doesn't include my hotel accommodation, my rental car, or my business class air ticket. He said, no problem, send me the invoice and your banking details, I'll put the money in your account. I thought this sounds all too easy. So when I got home, I sent him an invoice and within a day or two, the money was in my account. So when I was up in his state, uh, doing the assessment of his business, he took me uh, for dinner one evening. And when we sat down for dinner, he said to me, I didn't really bring you here for this reason. I have a much bigger vision than this. And then he shared his vision with me, which is a poverty alleviation project for the villages in our country. And then he asked me if I could build a business model, an agrarian business model. I instantly said, yes. Now, I've never done that before. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ is a many-membered body. In his body are all the disciplines that I need to build the model. Therefore, the answer is yes. What was a five-day contract became a six-month contract, which then became a 12-month contract. And my daily rate was carried over into a monthly rate. I want you to understand that there are so many things the Father has in his heart for us. But we need to appear before him. And we must take initiative. 
We are not servants who only act upon instructions. We are sons who initiate conversations. And so we carry our heart before God in his counsels. And we'll often find that God is agreeable with what is in our hearts. Now in conclusion, the question is how do we start? I want to quote James Allucher. He says, one thing to try is to write down 10 ideas a day. This exercises the idea muscle and makes you 100 times more creative than the average person over time. Coming up with new thoughts and ideas can be intimidating. But it starts with our identity as sons of God. Feeling that we have the permission from God to collaborate with Him to birth something brand new is invigorating. This is a discipline that leads to words, works, and destiny. And eventually, it reinforces our identity in Christ. God wants to show you what He's doing in the kingdom. And He often leaves the choice of how up to you to initiate. God will help you. He will counsel you. He will work with you. He will work through you. But he won't do it for you. Just like the parable of the talents. He's passing out assignments, leaves, and comes back later to check how we've multiplied while he was gone. Thomas Edison looked at creativity as a discipline. He looked at it as simply good, honest, hard work. His quota was one minor invention every 10 days and a major invention every 6 months. It took over 50,000 experiments to invent the alkaline storage cell battery. 9,000 experiments to affect the light bulb. When he died in 1931, he left 3,500 notebooks full of ideas. We have one more hurdle to overcome. Submission and obedience are two mentalities that are central to our gospel. Most of us have understood spirituality as hearing and obeying. That is much needed when we are first saved, especially in the formative years of our walk with God. But functioning in the kingdom is a totally different world that is premised on accessing God's presence in relationship, conversations, initiative, and collaboration. This transition from submission and obedience, which is a fundamental part of our development, to the place where we can function as partakers and co-creators with God is a process of learning. This transition must take place first and foremost in the mind of our spirit and in the mind of our soul. Servants live vicariously by obeying the vision of their gatekeeper, boss, government, education, family or church. Servants never own a personal vision. They are simply living out of the expectations 
of other people, institutions, or ideologies. When we let others do all the choosing for us, we will eventually get resentful and we will never approach the creativity associated with our calling. You and I won't be judged or rewarded based on what we do as Christians. We'll be rewarded based on how much of our calling we choose to fulfill. Some 30, some 60, some 100. Our goal in this life is to fulfill our calling and exercise the unique grace that is on each one of our lives. Let me share a few characteristics of kingdom calling with you. Firstly, God wrote the desires in our hearts. Our calling is a dream come true. It's something that we want to do and love to do. And the rest of us are waiting for you to be you. Secondly, it's beyond our natural capability. We can't just run out and do it in our own strength. It takes faith. It takes walking with our Father and the guidance of Holy Spirit and the redemptive power of Jesus. Everything starts with us volunteering for the desires that God wrote in our hearts with a, here am I, send me. Kings initiate those conversations, actions and ideas. Servants are always waiting to be told what to do. Creativity is permitting ourselves to collaborate with our Father. It's why Holy Spirit is called Counselor. Ideas are not stocked up in heaven waiting for us to hear and obey them. God has given us the ability to create things through ideas that has never been heard of before in heaven or even on earth. Heaven is rejoicing with us when they are discovered and expressed. Destinies must be chosen and creativity is a discipline. The innovation we come up with may bless others, but it's for us to implement. The context of the ideas we create is in our own metron or mountain and calling. Let me give you a few closing remarks. Submission and obedience are not an end in itself. It's a doorway for the retraining of the soul for participation in the eternal plans and purpose of God in the earth. When submission and obedience don't develop into participation in the eternal plans and purposes of God, it leads to spiritual paralysis and the eventual sickness of the soul because of the perpetual deference of hope. We enter into the kingdom of God through the eye of a needle, but beyond that lies the vast expanse of possibilities that we are called to co-create with God and others. We are not called to be docile servants, lying prostrate in utter hopeless obedience. We are called to be sons, filled with the vitality of Holy Spirit, co-creating the future of the kingdom of God with Him. Entrepreneurs are self-starters. They see and do. Sometimes we want our spiritual father to approve our business ideas in fields that they don't even understand themselves. 
Spiritual fathers are a great value to our spiritual development. But business requires a different set of skills. I believe a spiritual father will be able to advise me on my readiness to take on a project or assignment based on my character development. But if they are not skilled in business, you should not place this burden upon them. I believe that you should take your spiritual father in your confidence. Share your ideas. Ask for prayer covering. Remain open to anything the Lord may share to your spiritual father. Start the business. Begin to make money. Put your spiritual father on the payroll. Pay them for praying for you. Because in doing so, you partner with them for the success of your business. My prayer is that this was helpful in helping you understand the spirit of the entrepreneur. There is much more that we can say on these things, but suffice for this we have done for today. And I pray that the Lord, by His grace, will raise up amongst us mighty, powerful entrepreneurs. And that we may act as a catalyst to sharpen one another, to raise up entrepreneurs in all of the mountains, that the name of the Lord may be glorified. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you in Christ Jesus the Lord. Amen.